Hey Trekkies, and welcome back to Trek Freaks, the Geek Freak Show where we talk about every episode of Star Trek, starting all the way back with the original series. My name is Kevin, and I am joined by Jonathan. Hey, hey, what's going on? Hey, uh, what episode are we talking about today, John? Ooh, today we're talking about TOS Season 1, Episode 21, Return of the Archons. Let me get your, your just off the cuff, what did you think of it? Like, good, bad? Don't rate it. Just what did you think of it? <laughs> it was a little crazy. It's kind of all over the place. It's uh, I-, I couldn't predict what was going to happen in the episode. And I usually can kind of see, you know, they're usually pretty simple stories. But this one changes directions a couple times. So I thought it was pretty good. Yeah, I, I-, I agree. It was a decent episode. Um, looking forward to talking about it. But, but before we do, I've got a question from uh, from our, our patron, Stephanie. Nice. Uh, she asks... Have any of you seen the original series, or are you first-timers? Uh-huh. For me, I, I have seen most episodes of the original series, but not actively watching them. So I would put, I'd put on Star Trek before I go to bed, uh, before having a, a baby. But, uh, and so I'd you know, kind of pay attention, kind of not, and fall asleep to it. So most of the episodes, I recognized you know, the characters and stuff that are in, in it, but I never really got the plot or the, you know, the actual story. So. It's kind of a, a first time to actually sit down and pay close attention to the episode for sure. Gotcha. What about you? Yeah, I, I have seen every episode of every iteration of Star Trek except for the animated series. Nice. So that's going to be fun if we end up going through that or fi- <laughs> when, when we figure out how we're going to go through that. But yeah, I've whenever I rewatch something is when I'll have it on in the background and I don't really pay as much attention to it. But I'm, if I'm watching something for the first time, especially Star Trek, I make sure that's mm-hmm. when I'm paying attention to it. So I don't remember every episode because there are hundreds of episodes of all of Trek, but I have definitely watched all of them. And the one that we're talking about next week is definitely one that I remember a little bit more than say the one we're talking about this week, but <laughs> yeah. all yeah, right. I like it. Well, oh, also, uh, I once again, it's it's kind of fun to hear questions from Stephanie because I listen to the Delta Flyers and hear her questions read right on there as well. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, you know, she's she's got her fingers in all of Trek right now. I feel like nice. Oh, man, I can't wait till we get to Voyager. That's neither here or there. Let's uh, <laughs> right. let's get into the warp speed recap. The Enterprise is in orbit of Beta 3 to try to determine the fate of the crew of the USS Archon from 100 years before. Beta 3 is not a place you want to be if you don't know what you're getting into. There are monks that kill people for thinking differently, lawless periods known as festival or anything goes, and the people who know enough to fight it are waiting for others to do the work for them. Enter Captain James T. Kirk and the Enterprise crew. After witnessing a festival from a safe distance, the crew meet up with people who are not under the control of whatever has the rest of the population turning from content citizens to riot at the strike of 6 p.m. The crew get captured and McCoy is turned into a member of the body, the ones who are under the control of someone or something called Landru. Instead of absorbing Kirk and Spock into the body, a man undercover in Landru's home leads them to Landru's hall of audiences. There they see that Landru, the one controlling everyone here, is not a man, but a computer. It didn't take long for Kirk and Spock to realize that the battle with Landru would be won with logic, not phasers. Well, that's mainly because Landru disabled their phasers. <laughs> the two top guys of the Enterprise made Landru realize... That was a lot of rhyming. The two top guys <laughs> of the Enterprise made Landru realize <laughs> that he is harming the body. By not allowing the people to have their own creativity, the computer was limiting them to the point where there was no life. Landru, his mission to keep the people of Beta-3 content and free of harm, was caught in a logic loop and self-destructed. The Enterprise leaves a team of people on the planet to help them grow as a civilization and are off to their next mission. Nice. <laughs> Had to bust out a rat midway through the, uh, the old warp speed recap, no big deal. I like your recaps, man. You should have been a writer. <laughs> I think I'm good at summing things up with my feelings wrapped up. I did a game review for Pushing Buttons recently, and it wasn't meant to be a narrative review, but it turned into a narrative review. So I think that's I, I like doing the warp speed recaps for the same reason, because I put my, my I definitely have my flavor in there. <laughs> Alright, so ready to go scene by scene? Tear yeah. this thing to pieces? Yeah, so 
the, I I like this episode specifically for the lasting appeal. Um, like Star Trek Lower Decks already did an episode making fun of this, so uh, it, obviously it was a good enough episode or a bad enough episode, depending on your opinion, to have that lasting appeal. But yeah, let's 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 break this down. <laughs> when we first start off, we see that we're uh, at an old Wild West street where Sulu and someone named O'Neill are running from some people that are basically just monks carrying these like hollow tube stick things. Uh, looks kind of cheesy, but that's Star yeah. Trek. It's like uh, a like a blowgun, but it's the size of a staff or something like that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They shoot magic out of it. <laughs> Uh, Sulu asks for an emergency beam out because they're about to get cornered. And did you notice that it took like a minute to, for an to emergency beam out. beam out? Yeah, right. There's no emergency in that situation. Like that was that took way too long. Right. <laughs> he even told the other guy, like, you know, stay here. We're, we need to get beamed out. And then so he waited, and sure enough, the monks got to him before he could be beamed out. Like, come on, guys, what's the point of the emergency part? Exactly. That's, that's exactly what I was thinking. Uh, yeah, Sulu gets cornered. He's uh, zapped in that stupid sound effect that plays. <laughs> to, uh, were there sparklers on this one? When he, I don't think on this one. Later on, there is. Okay. I think this one it was just like a. Which I think the sparklers help because you got to see some physical effect. That, um, I mean, then you're just relying on the sound effect if you don't. Right. Which don't Star know. Trek does that a lot. They rely on the sound effect. I think a lot more to carry the vibe of what's going on. Yeah, but it's funny when you see these scenes and you think about how it would be on set when they don't have the sound effects or any you know, visual effects and like right. th these people must feel so silly just like swinging a stick and they're like, okay, wait a second, it's doing a thing. Okay, now go back. Like, I don't know. <laughs> It'd be fun to watch on set. It kind of reminds me of watching behind the scenes stuff from like Star Wars when Hayden Christensen is <laughs> just swinging a lightsaber around and he's making the vroom, vroom noises yeah. himself. It's like, you don't need to do that. The, the right. Post-production post will do that for you. <laughs> no, that's, that's for me. <laughs> <laughs> so Sulu gets absorbed. Um, we don't know what that means at this point, but he gets beamed up immediately afterward. And he's clearly not himself. He's there talking in the transporter room about how they are the sweetest people on earth and they're on paradise. And that's when I realized it's going to be a really cheesy episode. <laughs> yeah. He's definitely like brainwashed immediately. And all of a sudden he's very happy. He was just running for his life and trying to flee. And then now all of a sudden he's like, Oh, that was such a beautiful place. And yeah, very brainwashed. I guess. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> yeah. Which we see a lot more of throughout the episode. But the, the entire reason we find out that the entire reason that the Enterprise crew is even there to begin with is because they're searching for clues as to what happened to the, the ship Archon about 100 years in the past. And that their last known location was around Beta 3. So they take an away team there to try to find out what's going on. The recon team got absorbed. So now we're, <laughs> we've got Spock, <laughs> Kirk, Bones and three other people. Uh, beam down into with clo wearing clothing that kind of makes them fit in with the rest of the people there, so they're not just immediately sticking out like a sore thumb. Mm -hmm. They meet a man who warns that the red hour is coming. The red hour. Did you have any idea what that was gonna be? Yeah. So I was as soon as they started saying that, and the way that people are kind of nervous about it, I, I right away did think it was gonna be like the purge. Okay. Like it's gonna be, you know, everyone pulls out knives, and it's just. You know, whoever wants to participate, you get to murder as much as you want until, you know, this hour is done. But uh, we see it's a little, it's, it goes all night, actually. It's a 12 hour thing. Yeah. yeah. And I, it's just, it's chaos. It's lawlessness for 12 hours. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't expect a purge. What I expected was like everybody just like fall asleep or something, something stupid. Uh, I didn't think that <laughs> everybody was just going to break into knife fights and throwing rocks and kissing Kirk, which, right. by the way, <laughs> that woman that just randomly jumps on Kirk and starts making out with him. Mm -hmm. Kirk, every time. I think... He, I, he is magnetic. Uh, he just... Women cannot resist themselves around him. Yeah, I, I think you're right on the last episode when you said that women are just super attracted to him and that's just how it's written and I gotta, mm -hmm. I gotta deal with that. It's just how it is. I know, for guys like us, it's hard to comprehend, but there's some men that just draw, <laughs> draw them in. <laughs> uh, no, that's great. So while uh, the purge is going on or the festival is going on outside, uh, Kirk and crew make it inside. Before they made it inside, they met a woman who said that her dad could put them up for the night. And mm -hmm. he en they end up finding that guy inside the building that they hide out in. 
and they find out that whatever's going on outside is called Festival, and that is the will of Landru. Yeah, and so they're like the weirdos for not knowing about Landru, and these guys are already skeptical when 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 Kirk and his crew have questions. They're like, wait a minute, are you guys not from here? And they immediately don't don't trust him. They stay the night there, kind of keeping an eye. I, did you notice when Spock was sleeping? Was he sleeping? Was he meditating? His eyes were open. Yeah, that's what I was thinking is he probably wasn't sleeping. He's, he's probably, like you're saying, meditating or yeah, thinking like we'd seen him before, just standing on the bridge doing computations. Like Maybe he's uh, analyzing different scenarios of how they can get out of that alive. I thought that he was, like, my first thought was that he was trying to blend in like he was sleeping, but wasn't sleeping. And it was just, I figured he was just try- trying to keep a lookout. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Stay awake in case someone jumps through the window or something. Right. Exactly. Um, the, the guy who I refer to throughout all of my notes as innkeeper, man, <laughs> the guy running the, the, the joint that they stayed the night in, uh, find out that Kirk and his crew didn't attend festival and takes them to hide from Landru because yeah. they, they don't belong there. If they were under the will of Landru, they would have gone to festival and they wouldn't have had a choice. One of the older men is taken by a Landru monk. This is when the sparklers shoot from uh, whatever that stick is, and he dies. Yeah. Do you remember why they, they took him? Um, he, it, was it because he was the one that told them to, to hide out there or something like that? He made a joke, and the other guy turned him in. A, a joke oh, about yeah. Landru. And That's what it was. Yeah. The, uh, the other old guy. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is... Where the monk says Kirk and his crew will be, he doesn't say the word crew because he doesn't know what they are, but Kirk and the crew will be absorbed. And then he, mm-hmm. it, this gets really creepy, very cult-like. The good is all, Landru is gentle, you will come. Yeah. Very, very creepy stuff. Yeah, and we still don't really know what getting absorbed means and stuff like that, but this is definitely, yeah, they don't want, they want to get out of there. This is awkward. They're, they're you know, going to be brainwashed is what we're expecting. Right. So at this point, they've got a man on their ship who has been absorbed and they don't know what happened to him. They're being chased by these monks to be absorbed themselves, all while trying to do like a search and rescue for, I guess, the descendants of the Archon <laughs> at this point, because there's no way that the actual crew members of the Archon would be alive at this point. But And, and there's still at least one other crew member, the one that was down with uh, was O'Reilly or something, it was down with uh, Sulu, who's still missing right, on the right. planet. Yeah. So this mission's gone just sideways. <laughs> yeah, real quick, real quick in a lot of different ways. Like sideways yeah. doesn't even be- begin to describe it. <laughs> Kirk refuses to go with the monks and just he just outright says, no, I'm not going to. Yeah, I love that. I love that that works because in this <laughs> society that, that Landry has built, everybody is so compliant. So to say no, they're like, wait, what, is that? what does that, that mean? Does not compute. <laughs> yeah. Do we? Do we get the stick or <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't get it. <laughs> that, yeah. Kirk takes the stick from him and just like immediately hands it to Spock. Yeah. And we see, and I, I thought that it was like a, either like a bamboo stick just with nothing in the middle, or mm-hmm. it looked like it could have been a, like a wrapping paper stick with some, to ma- yeah. <laughs> some stuff around the outside to make it look like it came from nature. But yeah, True. it was completely hollow. And in the show, it was supposed to have been hollow too. There's no mechanism inside of it. Yeah, that's what Spock says, which is makes us wonder, like, wow, what kind of technology do they have that this hollow tube is somehow with any with no mechanism, uh, it's it's you know trancing these people or you know blowing some kind of smoke in their face or something like that. But yeah, they just saw least, kill a dude. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> we still don't end up learning anything about that technology. Kirk and his crew and the innkeeper man kind of start pacing away from from the place where they were staying. Just trying to get away, but they try to blend in at first. Like they're walking with their hands on their chest, seeing the creepy, <laughs> everything is good or whatever the the, yeah. the lines are that the cult says. Yeah. And as they're walking away, everybody notices them. It's like if one yeah. person notices them, they all notice them. So yeah. in another really creepy moment, all the, the townsfolk, they just like, they turn around, look directly at them and then pick up an item to use as a weapon and start chasing <laughs> them. So I feel like this is like a zombie scene. These guys are sneaking between the zombies. They got the scent on them and stuff like that. They're dragging a leg or whatever. And then somebody sneezes. And it's like, wait a minute. <laughs> all the zombies, <laughs> zombies <turn>. don't sneeze. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, all of a sudden they're under chase. Uh, and then after that, they find O'Neill in the streets, right? He was 
Was he knocked out already, unconscious? No, he was one of the the zombie, <laughs> for the lack of a better term, I guess at this point, he was one of them that was uh, cornering Kirk and everybody, and they shot the wide wide field shots, dispersed shots, whatever, on stun. Oh, yeah. So they end yep. up stunning O'Neill and a bunch of these other uh, absorbed people with yeah. their phasers. That was pretty cool, too. I, don't, I think this is the first time we've ever seen a, a widespread phaser beam like that. To yeah, I think so, too. Stun a, yeah, like a, an AOE attack. Yeah, exactly. Stun, stun a whole group. <laughs> That was pretty nice. Oh man, yeah. They take uh, they take O'Neill with them as they try to escape, and the innkeeper guy uh, leads them to a to another building, a, a hideout or something. Mm-hmm. In this hideout, we find out that there are three guys that are kind of leading a resistance against Landru, whoever, whatever that is at this point. They still haven't really mentioned anything about Landru at this point. I think we're already about a third of the way through the episode at this point we still don't even know who the bad guy is yeah. which i don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing but just wanted well, to point that out yeah we don't know who the leader of the cult is but still right now like the cult is the bad guy as right. far as we yeah yeah see it the uh the innkeeper guy pulls out a glowing light panel that kind of throws <laughs> everybody off because it doesn't belong in this old west town that they're in there's like no technology to speak of and there's this glowing looks like a kitchen floor tile or something <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that they use as a as as a light there and they try to figure out where it came from and nobody knows uh the innkeeper guy says that it, it's technology that's been around for oh, six thousand years or more some people presume so nobody knows how it got there or where it fits in in this town mm-hmm. uh, so that leads Bach to scan the area he finds power readings everywhere so there's obviously something going on it seems that the uh whatever's going on with the people there's some i at this point i'm thinking there's mind control going on yeah so i didn't realize in when i first watched the episode wasn't till later that i i you know and seeing it and doing notes and stuff that i think that this area was the ship right did they bury the ship or take it apart and use its technology to make a base underground or something like that i don't even know i didn't even think of that honestly yeah, because like, 100 years ago, that, that Archon ship went missing, right? So, right. I think, you know, whoever, Landrew or somebody, used that technology on the planet to kind of build a, a base to where they can control people. But I got you. I don't know. Uh, so, at this point, Kirk finally asks what it is to be absorbed and learns that Landrew uses the bodies of the absorbed to see and try to look around for any, any suspicious activity, but yeah. he doesn't kill them. He wants them to all be content. So he takes yeah. away their, basically their free will and they seem happy. Yeah. So this, he's using a form of mind control. Everybody in the town is, is joined into his mind, right? Is this not the first collective? This is like a non-cyborg Borg. Right. Um, I don't know if you've read through my notes or not, but I definitely bring that up in my notes oh. a, a couple of times too. So I'm, I'm glad you that you thought that too. Because, <laughs> Sorry, yeah. No, no, I'm, I'm, it's good because I'm wondering if uh, the TNG writers used this as like a prototype for the Borg, like if think, they looked back at this episode. I think so. Just like we saw the um, a, a recent episode we did it was kind of re- uh, reminiscent of Q. I yeah. think a lot of these episodes kind of fed into future concepts that they developed right. further. Oh, yeah, and it has been confirmed, at least, that Trelane was used, like, th- they used Trelane when building the character of Q later yeah. on, so, yeah, it's, it's very possible, it's not, I, I was gonna say it's not as creepy as the Borg, but it's, it's, it's probably creepier than the yeah. Borg. Yeah, because the, the Borg are just, you know, always, always drones, and right. here he, he releases them to live free, you know, at some points. Now, I wonder, though, that, that dark hour, are they so tormented under his control that that is just what they do when he is releasing them for, six, for 12 hours? All right, so I, I wanted to talk about this. I'm glad you asked, because <laughs> I wanted to talk about, I, I even have it later on in, in my notes, what the sorry, hell I, is the point <laughs> of festival? Yeah, right? Like, like in my mind, it was, it's used, it's not them doing anything free will, which it could be, but in my mind, when I was watching the episode, it was mm-hmm. Landrew just making them do a bunch of fucked up shit for his entertainment. Yeah. Is it like a kid playing with all of his toys you right. know, on the carpet and he just wants to see what happens when you smash these two together and they fight, but right. I don't that, know. Then 
as messed up as it is, I, I think it could easily be that maybe a hundred years ago, whatever, when he started this festival was a time for the people to rejoice and enjoy themselves together and have free time pretty much with, with their free will. But then when he takes over control again, they go back to being happy and peaceful and no fighting and you got it all out of your system. And, but you know, their, their free will when they got free time because they've been under control and tormented to some extent, then all they want to do when they break free is attack each other and, you know, yeah. jump on Kirk and kiss him and stuff. <laughs> and that's that is definitely uh far more likely because landrew's whole point is to keep them safe and obviously during the red hour which is a 12 hour period i don't know how yeah. often it happens but if it's every day at once a month once a season whatever um yeah. they are definitely not content and definitely not safe as we saw earlier in the episode when the innkeeper's daughter who we met at the very beginning of the episode was seen mm-hmm. screaming after what happened during festival. And for some reason, everybody has to take part in it. Like they don't yeah. have a choice. That's the thing that made me think it was part of Landrew's whole mind control thing is because you're supposed yeah. to, you have to take part in it. Except for the older people. They're saying like, Oh, he doesn't, these guys don't have the excuse of age to you right. know, be able to not participate. Yeah. It, so it didn't make, it didn't make much sense to me. The whole festival thing. It just seemed like a way to, make someone kiss Kirk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're good at that. They write that into a lot. Yeah. Um, but I think you're, you're probably right. It was probably just the, a way for, for Landrew to, to play, like to just mess around with all the people. I don't know. Cause it, it, it seems like it makes more sense if they were just free of the mind control and just didn't know what to do and went crazy. But yeah, uh, maybe that's not true. Cause later on at the, the very end of the episode, we see how they react when they're free. So it, yeah, uh, I don't know. It, it, <laughs> it was very poorly uh, written, I think. Yeah, that, that aspect of it, at least. Right, yeah. So, at this point, uh, after, getting, after getting the idea of what it is to be absorbed and who Landru is, uh, the innkeeper also starts to explain who the Archons are. It seemed like at first Kirk wasn't putting together that the Archons and the people from the Archon ship were the same mm-hmm. people. I think he did get that, but he was already going somewhere else in his in his brain. So I, I I had to erase it from my notes, but it looked like I'm like, how is Kirk not putting together that the Archons are the people from the Archon? Yeah. <laughs> like it's it's right there. <laughs> but that wasn't the point at all. The Archons are people that Landrew pulled down from the Archon, uh, from their their spaceship and their starship and made it crash and uh, they were not of the body, and that was the only frame of reference these guys have for somebody that's not of the body other than the two or three of them that are part of the resistance or whatever. I don't think they call themselves anything. Oh, so I might have missed that when I watched the episode, because I was, like I was saying, like I think the Archon ship is where this technology came from, but you're saying that the Innkeeper explains that Landrew used his technology to pull down the ship of the Archons, like pretty much destroy them. Yeah, right? he... He says that they that the Archons came from the skies, and Kirk says that it must have been Landrew pulling them down from orbit. Mm-hmm. So it's not really said for sure that that's what happened, but that's what happened. <laughs> okay, nice. Yeah, I don't think we get any other explanation really anyway, so. Yeah, I, I don't care. I just want more explanation of festival still. <laughs> I want to know. Right. So as they're talking about that, there's a a projection that appears on the wall of Landrew and the two guys that aren't part of the enterprise crew is starting to freak out. It's like, Oh, he's found us. He found us. Um, <laughs> but Spock notices that it is a projection and Kirk is impressed because there's nothing making the projection. It's just there on the wall. There's nothing on the other side. There's no projector behind them. It's just there on the wall, which I think they also don't really explain that either. Yeah. <laughs> So I actually, when they, when they mentioned that, I was thinking of the previous episode where we talked about how the, the camera, like the security camera, so to speak, on the bridge could see Kirk pushing the buttons and it, it like moves, right? You can see it from different angles. And that got me thinking like, maybe they don't quite have uh, uh, holodeck technology yet, but they got to be close. They're only, uh, you know, a hundred years away or something like that. So they probably have other advanced technologies that obviously we don't have, like space travel but they uh or warp speed i guess that we we go to space <laughs> but uh 
So maybe like a holographic image can capture any angle and perspective of a room, their their cameras, like their records of an event are, you know, three-dimensional. So you can, like if you're playing a video game, you can move your character to see it from all different perspectives. Maybe they're able to do that with their, you know, current camera technology. That, that's why I love this show, <laughs> especially doing that, doing this with you, because I, I can't like connect dots like the, that the same way that you do. That's great. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to roll with that. That's how that worked, because nice. there's no explanation in the show. So that sounds pretty logical <laughs> to me. Right. I like it. Um, the man can't hear uh, Kirk talking back to him. The man being Landrew uh, mm. can't hear anything that's being said in the room. It's only just, it's, it's a holographic message of sorts mm-hmm. saying that you will be absorbed. This is the, the part that sounded very Borg. Like you will be <laughs> absorbed. Your individuality will merge into the unity of good. And that is very much your biological and technological distinctiveness will be added to our own. It, it's, yes. <laughs> it just didn't have a resistance is futile at the end. That was the only, I, I, yeah, it's, it's essentially the absorbed are a hive mind. And Landrew controls them to his will. Yeah. And he's just saying, you know, resistance is maybe worth trying, but I'd rather you not. <laughs> well, I guess they don't know what resistance is because the first time Kirk showed any resistance, they had no idea what to do. So right. resistance is possible, but please don't. <laughs> please don't. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Oh, man. Yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty creepy. They're like a very... It, Imagine, like, it's if this continued, if these guys grew, they would be the Borg without the cybernetic implants, without, you know, using nanoprobes to change a person to join them. So, it would be, it'd be interesting to see, like, if, if this guy could continue to expand, though they don't, they don't absorb the technological advancements of other, other species. So, I guess they would grow a lot slower than the Borg. But and it'd be interesting to see them fight. I think that's the whole point of this though is that Landrew doesn't allow them to evolve yeah Yeah. they stay stagnant as a civilization and Mm -hmm. that's how we'll we'll get to that at the very end of the episode but (laughs) yeah um at this point there's a a a loud noise that begins to knock out the crew because Mm. Landrew's gonna come and take them uh the monks take them to some kind of chamber a prison and that's where we see that McCoy and O'Neill and one other person are not there because they grabbed O'Neill with them from the alleyway, took him there. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, M- McCoy gets turned pretty quickly. <laughs> I, I want to point out that I really appreciated his acting as yeah. part of the absorbed or part of the body. It was, yeah, it was really was a good, good. A good flex on his end. Right, yeah. Yeah, M- McCoy's not there, O'Neill's not there, there's one other dude missing, and their phasers are gone. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they try to hatch an escape plan uh spock mentions that outright disobedience probably won't work again because they have pro- they have adapted he didn't say adapted he said the flaw might have been corrected but there we go again with another borg analogy it's like <laughs> exactly. they did one thing and then they adapted to it and that's yeah. exactly how the borg reacts to to phaser fire so though contradictory to the borg i think landrew has control over these people and doesn't take in uh, input it's not like a, a collective hive mind where you know all their thoughts work together and he just has a louder voice uh i think their brains are shut off and he just operates them like puppets yeah it i, I the way that i see it and we, we see right here that spock uh pretty much says that the that landrew is a computer this is where he says that mm-hmm. uh, or he's he's kind of guessing through logic that they're yeah. that it's a computer controlling everything and that's kind of how i see the people being controlled they're not so much uh, a, a hive mind like you're saying it's more like computer algorithms completing a task mm-hmm. that they're yeah. all just completing tasks and whether if they need to be done or not that kind of i guess is neither here nor there but it makes you wonder what the whole point of them living a life is which is the whole yeah. point of the episode <laughs> <laughs> And so, uh, speaking of that, like when they walk through the town and they're all like under his control, they're working like a clock. It kind of reminds me just a little bit of uh, Westworld, how okay. they're all you know androids and they have to follow certain you know sequences and stuff like that. Like you're saying, even if this task doesn't need to get done, they're sitting there doing it just because that's their role at that time. Yeah. Um, Bones comes back and he's been absorbed. 
and then Kirk is told to go with the monks. Hmm. As after Kirk's taken, Spock tries to do a mind meld with uh, McCoy to try to see what's wrong with him, but he can't do it because his brain is under extremely powerful control is the way he's, he puts it. Yeah, so, that's impressive that, that Landry's control is so strong that Spock can't even hack into it. I want to know how a computer got that kind of power. Yeah. That's terrifying. <laughs> and I wonder, I don't think we end up getting any explanation of how they control them. The, the sticks blow some kind of smoke or something like that. So it could be a drug, but we also see that they use that ultrasonic frequency to knock the guys out. So it could be, you know, some kind of sound, but we don't really get a, a explanation of what it is that controls them so well. I got to say, I'm very glad that later iterations of Star Trek kind of take the time to explain things to the audience in a way that makes sense. Not not kind of dumbing it down for us to understand, but explain things either with techno babble or things that, you know, legitimately make sense. The yeah. original series doesn't really take the time to do that. It's yeah. just weird wonder, because they're really long episodes, too, so they have the time. Yeah, I wonder if maybe the audience back then didn't care That's probably how the it. bread was baked. They just want to, you know, eat it. They just want to enjoy it. So Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, leave some mystery in there so that they can guess a little bit or something. Uh, the monks come in for Spock next, and he passes Kirk, who is uh, seemingly absorbed. He's doing the whole good be unto you as it is unto <laughs> us or that be with you yeah 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 um so spock is uh, he's strapped to a wall and this uh what did i call him in my notes undercover monk man is what i called him in my notes um <laughs> nice. is starting to he, he waits for the other monks to walk away and then he frees spock and tells him that your captain's fine i'm the third man of the resistance and uh, you're you're fine. We just have to figure out how to beat Landru, I guess. Which is weird because what's the point of freeing these guys if he didn't want to beat Landru? But later on, when they try to come up with a plan, he doesn't want any part of the plan. Yeah, I think he's afraid of Landru still, so he doesn't want other people. He wants to to be able to say like, "Oops, they got out," but he doesn't want anyone to see him helping them because then you know if they fail, this guy's gonna get hung in the streets too or something worse, you know. Oh, that's fair. Okay. Plausible deniability. Yeah. <laughs> he, uh, undercover monk man returns the phasers to Spock. And when Spock and Kirk are talking about the place, he says that the place has no soul, no spirit. It's all peace, all tranquility, parts of a machine, all working in unison. And that's when I was like, yeah, that's definitely a cult that they described. <laughs> that's, that's a hundred percent a cult. Right. But, but they're trying to figure out who's given the orders, even though they already ascertained that it was a computer doing it. They, they talk about, they say it flat out right here that Kirk says it's Landru, but Spock tells him that there is no Landru. Landru's not at least a living man, but a, rather a machine. And Kirk says, we have to pull the plug. Uh, right here, this is interesting too, because this is the first time that I've ever heard them talking about Starfleet's prime directive. Mm -hmm. He's prime yeah. directive number one. Spock brings it up and says that they can't interfere in the civilization of a pre-warp society, essentially. Yeah. And so it's like, why are you guys already on that planet? Like that step one, you guys are already interacted with a pre-warp society. Right. And uh, obviously doing a horrible job of blending in. Yeah. You should have, you know, studied them from a distance or something like that. Like stay on the ship, but. Yeah, they beam down and try to study from the ground. And it's like, yeah, no, you're obviously going to have some kind of influence. You're not that good at hiding. Yeah, they shouldn't have sent Sulu and O'Neill down for recon to begin mm -hmm. with without doing their research. You're absolutely correct. Yeah. And maybe this is one of the first times that they, that at least this crew did something like that. So they didn't, I don't know, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. You got to think that it's like day one training in Starfleet Academy. Yeah. And another thing I was thinking about when they're at this uh, scene, I guess, if they're going to pull the plug on the machine, they don't know what that's going to do to the population. Right. That could, if like if we're saying if they have control most of the time and when it loses control and lets them free, they go crazy. So they might go crazy. Also, if that's not the case and the machine is sustaining and maintaining their whole society, it might be some kind of neurological life support and you pull the plug and all of a sudden everyone just collapses and dies. Yeah, that's, I think, why Spock uh, brought up the Prime Directive, because it's mm -hmm. meant to have them not do something like you just described, so that they don't accidentally kill an entire civilization <laughs> with one decision. Um, right. 
But Kirk just says that the prime directive doesn't apply here. It's not a growing civilization. They're a very stagnant society, and they're being mm. forced into stagnation, essentially. Those are my words, not his, but that's what he was getting at. Yeah, pretty much they're in prison right now, so we got to free them, and then they can make their own decisions after that. Right, hopefully. Um, yeah. I don't know why they didn't bring up any of the things that you just brought up, like specifically, saying mm. what's going to happen to them when we, uh, when we unplug the computer, but... Yeah. It's Kirk and Spock. Everything always works out for the two of them, right? <laughs> yeah, to some extent. <laughs> uh, absorbed McCoy overhears them talking, them planning this whole thing, and attacks Kirk, and then quickly gets knocked out by Kirk. Like, mm. like it was nothing. Like, yeah. Bones stood no chance, poor guy. <laughs> yeah. And then two monks walk in, and Kirk and Spock take them down pretty quickly, too. Mm-hmm. And did so they, they have the, the sticks with them? I think they did. I don't okay. think... In the I don't past, think they were Kirk... pretty good at like, you know, they could totally stop somebody with one of those sticks, but they, they got, they got taken down pretty fast right here. Yeah. It's, I think they were just trying to move the plot along <laughs> a little <laughs> okay. bit because gotcha. it, it was a little too stagnant, but, uh, Kirk and Spock take their robes, but not their sticks. If they had the six, I don't remember for sure. And monk man undercover who doesn't want to ends up leading them to the hall of audiences where Landry is supposed to be. He's kind of hesitant, too, because he's, as you were saying, he's afraid of Landru. Uh, everybody else at this point is under the control of Landru except them, because I think everybody else that wasn't was dead. Um, Kirk pro- proclaims to be an Archon at this point to try to... It's supposed to be this whole prophecy. A prophecy, right? Yeah. yeah it's supposed so to be a whole to prophecy this- of the return of yeah. the Archons and... I don't know where the prophecy even came from. That was not spoken about at all. They're not yeah. Archons to that point. They're not from the ship, the Archon, but Landru would know what he's talking about when he says that they are Archons because it's something that he's familiar with and yeah. he pulled the Archon down from space to begin with. So that makes yeah. sense. He, he probably thinks that maybe he can use that, that story or something like that to kind of manipulate uh, Landru a little bit or something. I... I I kind of thought that it was Kirk's way of saying, I know what's going on here. I am like mm-hmm. these guys that you killed before or absorbed before. Uh, okay. I'm not yeah. part of the body, but it, it came off a little weird to me. Yeah, a quick way to say we're space people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, that same projection of Landru appears on the wall and says that the body must be, uh, the body can be cleansed, mm-hmm. um, that, they, that these guys have to be killed so that the body can be cleansed. Um, Kirk and Spock shoot the wall where the projection's at with their phasers and it, there's a computer behind the wall just like they thought. Yeah. I, maybe Landry didn't realize what the phasers were at first before they shot the wall where the computer was hiding behind but Landry right then disables their phasers so Kirk is now in a battle of wits. I called it a logic off. Right. <laughs> Which is really funny that uh Kirk was the one kind of taking the lead here because Spock's whole thing is logic. Yeah. You'd think <laughs> he would be the, the master of logic to be able to compete, compete with the computer. Right. Like I mean, in the last episode, he's able to outwit the ship's computer, even though it right. got tampered with. But Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah I, I guess Kirk can beat Spock in chess. That's mm-hmm. the, kind of the joke from the prior episode. True. But that doesn't necessarily mean that he's better equipped to have a computer versus computer logic off. Until it comes to humanity, I think Kirk has a much better grasp on the concepts of humanity and the value of life versus Spock's very logical, you know, you have to, if you have to kill one to save five, then you go ahead and do it kind of thing. Right. Um, the, the whole humanity point is basically Kirk's argument here. He points out that without creativity, there's no life. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> there's a bit of back and forth. Spock jumps in and helps Kirk with the, the, the whole logic. I didn't write down everything that happened there because it was all pretty apparent what was going to happen. Um, yeah. I was very disappointed in the, the sparkler show that was <laughs> Landrew destroying himself or being destroyed by his logic, the logic loop that he was caught in. Yeah. And you know what? I, a little scene, I think it would have taken a little more, more effects and props or whatever, a little short, uh, scene that would have helped kind of make this bigger and more impactful show some of the things that he controls glitching and failing with him so yes. if you take while he's like buzzing and clicking or whatever you see some of the street lights turn on and off or people that are walking forward start to walk backwards for some reason or the, the clock you know 
jumps time, you know, weird stuff happening in the town just for a second. And then you come back and he's, you know, self-destructed. That'd be very effective. I think Star Trek, the original series has a weird way of just wrapping everything up super quickly. And it wasn't like super convenient in this episode, like we've talked about in the past, but it was still really fast. And like we see immediately after the computer's destroyed, Sulu's back in his chair. He's, he, he hops right back in his chair. He's in his mm-hmm. uniform. They've already checked him out. He's already good to go. It's like, no, there should have been some discussion before Sulu's just immediately back <laughs> in control of the ship, like the heading of the ship. Like, I, I have an idea, and this might be, I, I don't know much about Hollywood and how you know TV and movie production was back in the days especially, but... Uh, they got paid for advertising and, you know, based on how many people watching this show when a bubblegum commercial came on or something like that. So maybe their writing was to keep people hooked and excited and entertained enough to stay along until, you know, they get to the end. So they get the last ads and then, you know, all this climactic stuff has to hurry up and get to a wrap because they got, you know, three more minutes left of the episodes. So they got to package it up to go on to the next. Yeah, it's. <clears throat> the the pacing is definitely different now than it was back in the 60s and al- also the the runtime of the episodes are shorter now yeah. a, n- a normal show that takes an hour to show with commercials is only 42 minutes whereas back yeah. in the 60s it was 50 and a half minutes it was always yeah. e- almost every episode i have it at the top of every note thing that i take for an episode it's almost always 50 minutes, 32 seconds, or 50 minutes, 31 seconds. There's no deviation from those two almost ever. Hmm. I think there's a little more leeway in there. But yeah, you're probably right. There's probably a lot of advertising, a lot of pacing that had to be constructed that way in order to keep people hooked. And TV was just different. It was written differently back then. Yeah, Um, like now it's kind of nice when we watch Discovery that they can have a big, you know, overarching story with little, you know, side stories in between, but they don't need to wrap anything up anytime soon. They, They let it stretch out over several episodes because their funding is just completely different i think deep space nine did a lot of that too like they had season long arcs not at the beginning but later on with the whole dominion war the whole point of that i guess that was like a four season long arc that really really slow burned through it but every episode still had its own story as well which is what discovery does to some extent now yeah so ds9 was kind of like the forerunner of that because TNG didn't have almost any kind of overarching story. Yeah. And I think, again, it all comes back to money in my head because this show was just, you know, barely getting by, really struggling to get any attention, wasn't popular until after it got into reruns, you know, for a couple of years or whatever. And then people got excited for it and then boom, TNG came out and they're like, okay, cool. Let's, let's really invest what we got into TNG. And that was huge, very successful. And that success is what led them to be able to afford to make Deep Space Nine and then Voyager. So, because that now, when you got to Deep Space Nine, they have more money to kind of play around with. They're they have a firm footing and a strong fan base, so they're able to take a little bit more chances. I think, and that's pretty cool. Yeah, like there's it. there's a lot of philosophy in that that I want to talk about at some point. With because uh, <laughs> I love sci-fi, like classic sci-fi. I love it because it's so episodic. You can watch any one episode. And not have to watch the rest of it and know exactly what's going on in that episode. But the rest of, like with Discovery, you pretty much have to watch. It's it's meant to binge, essentially. Because people consume content differently these days. So everything's meant to have these big overarching stories. Whereas most shows like Supernatural, Stargate SG-1, they all had like something going on in the background. But they only ever touched the main story. Supernatural was the worst at it. They only ever touched the main story at the end of an episode or like once every seven episodes <laughs> and then just kind of busted through the main seasons, the season's main story. And I don't know how I jumped to that from from this conversation, <laughs> but it's, it's fun to talk about the differences in the ways that TV was written back then versus how it's written now. To me, the only downside to how it's written now is if I don't have the time to sit and really pay attention to an episode, I don't yeah. watch it because I don't want to ruin it. I want to wait and be able to see it like Discovery. I'm behind on a couple of episodes because I want to actually pay attention to them. But, you know, if I have to clean or if I'm taking care of my son or something like that, it's like, well, I know I'm going to miss some some key plot points. So, and they're, it's it's made so beautifully and it's like a every episode's like a movie that it's like, no, no, I need to, I need to dedicate time to it. So, but that means I end up waiting and miss out on episodes for a while. I'm doing that with Prodigy right now. I watched the first like two or three episodes of Prodigy, but once Discovery started, that became my Star Trek that I could pay attention, that I had enough time throughout the week to actually pay attention to. So 
I can't get introduced to new characters and learn their names while paying attention to dis- what's going on in Discovery. I just I'll, I'm going to wait till Prodigy's done with the season and then probably binge it if I care enough to do that. There you go. Anyway, so <laughs> the episode's basically wrapped up at this point. Uh, there's a team that's left behind to help acclimate the people of Beta 3 to living life without being controlled, their, their every action being controlled. And there's a, a little bit of a back and forth with Kirk and Spock at the end. Um, while talking about the mission, Spock says that the computer was fascinating. He likes things that are logical and provable. And Kirk says that he would make a very excellent computer, which Spock <laughs> naturally takes as like the highest of compliments. He's like, Thank you, Captain. <laughs> That's very kind or something <laughs> yeah. like that. That was great. So uh, I like how they, they leave this group behind to help the people acclimate. It makes me think of Lower Decks and how like that would probably be, I mean, I don't think I'd want to be first contact or, you know, running into these crazy aliens that nobody knows about. But being the second contact would be cool in these kind of situations. Because imagine, I mean, there's, there'd be a whole array of, of tasks that you need to do. But one thing would be, I imagine we, we must try to integrate their technology, like study their technology and learn what we can make with it. And likewise, you know, try to help them build a, you know, a government or stable, you know, economy and stuff like that. And so they can, you know, hopefully become a part of the Federation or, you know, if these people aren't ready for warp travel, then just help them build a society they can function in themselves. Uh, well, but, th- but yeah, second, th- second contact would be cool. Thankfully, uh, we get an answer to what happened to these people in Lower Decks because oh. Landrew comes back like they rebuild Landrew. Oh, I must not <laughs> have seen decks. that episode. Is it that was, one of the newer ones? Uh, it was this. It was the most recent season. Oh, okay, I'm probably. I'm still. I'm sure a few episodes behind on that one now. Okay, yeah. I mean, th- th- <laughs> that season's been over for a little while now. But it was. It was the whole supercomputer thing all over again, and they oh. they make all the jokes about it. like Kirk was just <laughs> here a hundred years ago, and you guys are already back to your old ways. It, it, it was. It was funny, and that's great because they actually say in this. That's right. They're tying all their all their strings together. Uh, that you know, be interesting to see in a hundred years how yeah. these people progress. <laughs> exactly. That sure was enough, a great, lower decks. That was a great, a great ending line. There's also uh, a little bit more of a deep conversation. I don't think it was meant to be super deep, but Spock says that mankind has always wanted uh, a peaceful existence like the one Landry provided, and Kirk says that they were just lucky enough to never have gotten it. So yeah, that kind of ties in, I think, to the uh, the moral of the story. Mm-hmm. which what did you what did you get from that from the story so uh, to me the moral is that humanity is not pretty uh it's fluid and it can't be conformed to a machine there's no perfect form in humanity yeah that's pretty much exactly what i got um besides to just don't join a cult um, <laughs> i think this episode is is a lot about conformity and peer pressure and I, without resistance to the status quo, life can't evolve. Yeah. Stagnation, in, stagnation in society doesn't add anything to life. You're meant to question authority and to question life. Make up your own mind and don't force your own opinions on others. Everyone's different and that's good. Yeah. That, that I think was the core of what the episode was trying to get at. A little more deep than I'm used to writing down in my notes as uh, <laughs> as uh, the moral of a story for a 1960s sci-fi show but i think that's what it was getting at um what did you think of the episode yeah i thought it was i thought it was a pretty good episode like i was saying in the beginning i couldn't predict how it was going to go like at, at first i thought it was going to be just a full-on purge and then i thought you know there's some kind of like dictator and then oh, oh no it's like a uh drone you know borg drone kind of situation uh it was it was kind of more complex than we've seen in most episodes. Uh, there wasn't, a, I guess because of the way it shifted so much, there wasn't very much effective foreshadowing that kind of cued you up for exciting reveals, but it was, it was a good episode. I, I, I'd probably give it like a solid B. The, uh, the set design was also pretty good too. Like there yeah. was enough variety in it. I didn't like that. The, the computer looked exactly like Landrew looked exactly like it would have fit on the Enterprise, even though we don't know how long that computer's been there for. True. But I, we don't know the, the technological, the, the, the technological level of the society that built him, which is yeah. another question. Like, I don't know who built Landrew. I mean, yeah. Landrew built the machine, but who's Landrew? Who was the man that built yeah. the machine? 
And it's funny because back in the 60s, like we already had very limited technology. So you see on the Enterprise, most of what they control is switches and lights. And because they don't have a wide array of technology, their representation of technology in every other society is switches and lights. They right. don't have, they can't go much further than that. Though when we see in like TNG and on, uh, every society has something you know totally different. Whether it's just you know LEDs behind a, an odd shaped panel or something like that, that is their version of technology and moving lights, little whatever flickering lights, and it's a different type of energy that we don't understand. But you know you just got to make it look a little funny, a little weird, and we using you know a little bit more advanced technology than what they have in this show. And our creativity can take over the rest. So yeah, but you like can it. definitely tell the difference between like a Ferengi, uh, even like a, a, a computer panel, like yeah. something is uh, between a Ferengi, a Cardassian, a Klingon, and yeah. uh, Starfleet. Right. You can and, tell the differences between that from TNG up just by looking at it. Yeah. it's all and very it, yeah. It makes a huge difference. It helps you like kind of sink into that world. It's very more I don't know believable. Overall, I thought that the episode it was a little boring. It wasn't like the most exciting. There was some suspense in there from time to time. And the acting from the extras was rough, man. Like <laughs> it was rough. Yeah. Uh, but the, the main cast, as always, just w- was great. Overall, I, I put the episode at a B minus just nice. just right under your B. So, yeah, that's fair. All right. Thank you guys for listening. If you like what you heard, don't forget to follow us on Instagram, uh, Facebook, TikTok, where else we uh, Twitter. <laughs> uh, check us out on geekfreakpodcast.com. And if you guys like that, join us next week for season one, episode 22, Space Seed. Yeah, we're going to be getting a, a villain that lasts forever in that episode. All right. Until then, transporter room, two to beam up.